text. We'll be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Let me pray. Father, I just come before you, Lord, just thankful for this morning. Uh, Thankful for everyone who's here and has come to to worship and uh, and spend time this morning. God, I pray that you would just speak through your text, God, um, through your word, that as we dig into these few verses, God, that you would just open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see and hear what you have for us this morning. Uh, I pray that you'd speak through me and that your spirit would move in our hearts as we wrestle uh, with some of, this, some of this text, God. Father, I love you. And I'm thankful in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we are going through the book of Mark together as a church, and we are in Mark 10. We will start in verse 13. We'll go through four verses this morning, so um, we'll see how long, how long that takes. If you don't have your Bible, I will go ahead and have the verses up here on the screen so you know that nothing I say or nothing that's talked about this morning is made up, but it's coming from the Word of God. So we'll go ahead and read Mark 10, starting in verse 13. And it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So we see this text here, and this text is really um, seemingly just overarching, just about Jesus, or letting children come to Jesus, and Jesus is, is lifting up uh, children and uh, Jesus loves children. And we can see that in this text. And there's a lot more going on here, but I do want to touch on that first, the fact that Jesus just loves these children. Um, and I think in churches, we, we, we kind of understand this idea. I'm not sure we always live it out, but we certainly understand this idea. We have songs like, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, or Jesus loves the little children. Um, I think those are the names of the songs. I didn't grow up in church, so forgive me. I don't know the words, but, but Elium sings them a lot. Uh, he told me this morning to keep singing them until I got tired of it. Uh, I don't know the words, so, but these are the songs. We, we understand that Jesus loves children. We, we get that uh, intellectually. And we tend to think, even as a society, that we hold children as valuable. Um, but this wasn't always the case. Uh, children were not always held to the high esteem that we think we do today uh, throughout history. And specifically in, in, in the Roman Empire, where, where this story takes place, and in Israel, um, Children were not held to a high esteem. In fact, children were uh, property, and they were deemed as, as pretty much useless until they could bring some value to the family. Um, uh, little girls, specifically, were easily discarded from families because they couldn't carry on the family name. They couldn't work hard. They, just, they were seen as less than. And so uh, they had these, these trash dumps that they would leave children out they didn't want, and people were free to come pick up those children, oftentimes for prostitution, um, or to become a gladiator and fight for, uh, or a slave. And so this is the kind of society that Jesus is, is in when he's talking about these children. And so uh, we have to understand uh, the context in which this is, is taking place. So it's important that we read the Bible. It's important that we read it in context. And so in context, children were not uh, seen as having a lot of value um, and unfortunately, even though we think we value children today, I'm not sure as a world, as, as the world, that, that they aren't much safer today than they were back then. Um, I want to look over some statistics just about how the world, uh, how children are in the world today. Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not very happy. 
Uh, leaving out the pain of miscarriages and the genocide of abortion, these statistics are incredibly painful. Uh, this year alone, 5.9 million children who made it to birth will die before the age of five. That's 16,000 children a day are dying. Now, four million of that nearly six million will die from these five, for these five reasons. Diarrhea, measles, tetanus, whooping cough, and pneumonia. Now, all these things are easily saved today in, in first world countries and in, in emerging countries. Um, a cheap oral rehydration salt, uh, um, a $5 injection or a 50 cent antibiotic would, would save 4 million out of the nearly 6 million children that die every year. Now, I do want to say there's hope because that number has changed dramatically. Just going from 1992 to, to 2015, um, it went from nearly 15 million a year children dying before the age of five to just five. So it is reducing dramatically, but it's still happening at an alarming rate. And the reality is America's not much better. America's one of the most violent countries towards children. Not only do we kill over 700,000 children, pre-born children a year, 22% are born into poverty. One in four girls under 18 have reported to being sexually assaulted by someone they know. Possibly as high as 30% of all mental retardation may be due to the fetal alcohol syndrome. One study showed 10% of pregnancies had mothers who used illegal drugs during the pregnancy. Another study showed 89% of teachers report abuse or neglect as being a problem in their education of the children. The American home is becoming increasingly unsafe and an unsafe place for children to be. Even in our own county, in Mitchell County, we have the highest children in foster care program per capita in, in North Carolina. Not only that, we have more. That's per capita, so like that's relative, but just even absolute children, we have more in this county alone, or have had more in this county alone than the surrounding counties combined. So there's not only a problem in the world, a problem in America, but a problem in our county um, directly. There's a problem with the way we view and, and treat children. Uh, we have children in our county who, who only really eat during school and during the week, and they go hungry on the weekends. So we don't value children as we ought to, and we should value children. We should value children like Jesus did. Not just intellectually think, hey, I value children, but, but as Christians, we should do something about some of these numbers and statistics. And there's absolutely things we can do. There's things we can do in our county. There's, we have uh, the Tri-County Pregnancy, a Crisis Pregnancy Center in uh, Yancey County that services Mitchell as well, um, where they try and counsel uh, crisis pregnancy or, or surprise pregnancies and, and young teens. And not only that, they do great ministry uh, for, for, for fathers-to-be, young fathers-to-be, and how to be a man and how to be a, um, a husband, how to be a father. There's things we can do to get involved in our direct area to help com combat this idea and help to love children like Jesus obviously loved children. But that's not it. Also, on the other side and the flip side of that idea in our churches, we, we tend to move from neglect of children, of our own children, to idol worship of our children. It's a huge problem in our culture. Uh, I did post something on Facebook kind of about this and um, just about not making your... Uh, children, idols, and we live in a culture that does this every day. And at the risk of getting in trouble, uh, as we start football season, I want to talk about how sports and children can easily create 
idols of our, of our children, create little gods of our children. Um, and we do it when it comes to sports, and it's not, it's not okay. Uh, sports itself easily becomes an idol, but uh, when our children begin to get to that age where they play sports, we oftentimes as parents trying to love our kids in a, in a weird, uh, twisted view of that will make idols out of our kids. We'll make sports this, this end-all, be-all. I got to get my kid in sports. I got to, I mean, parents today, we got, when I was a youth pastor in this county, so I'm speaking from experience. We have kids who go to like two, three, four camps a summer. His parents spend all like ungodly amounts of money sending their kids to camps and playing, playing ball. They uh, go into debt and they, and they do all these things so their kid can play club ball or they can go to all these camps and, and, and they make these idols out of children. I want to do something today. I know some of us have kids, some of us don't, some of us are going to have kids. I want us all just to say in our hearts today, my kid will not be a pro ball player. I want us to really say that in our hearts because the reality is, I mean, your kid might be great at ball. Your kid, you might have played, played some professional ball or college ball, but it's more likely that your child will be hit by an asteroid while getting eaten by a shark than it is for them to play pro ball. It's just more likely. Like it's more, that happens to more people than, than sports. Now that might sound crazy, but if you do the, uh, the statistics together, I didn't go to college, so maybe it's not more statistically likely, but um, let's just be honest. But that is something that's likely not going to happen. It's likely not going to happen. And I think, I don't, want, I don't want what I'm saying to get twisted. Like, I love sports. I think sports are great. I like playing sports. Um, we had a plan this afternoon to play some competitive sports, but it's looking to rain a little bit, so I'm not sure if we're going to do that because I don't like the rain. Um, but I love sports. I think sports are awesome, but only if they're a game. Sports are only okay and only awesome if they're a game. And, and oftentimes I've seen people take it way further than a game. It no longer becomes about the kid, but it comes about the parent. And I see this as I go to sporting events and I see, I see parents who, who you sit next to at the pew on Sunday morning yelling all sorts of things at their child, other children, at the ref, that they should never even be speaking out loud, let alone be yelling next to children, yelling at children. Like it gets crazy the kind of things parents will say at sporting events. The kind of anger that wells up, the kind of emotions that change, the kind of depression that comes when your children doesn't perform like you think they should perform. Like, like we have to understand and think this out loud. If, if your day is ruined because some kid didn't catch a ball, like something's wrong there. Like that's not an okay place to be in your heart. And, and it's easy to, to, to know that this, is, this isn't about the game anymore and it's about the parent because the same parent who yells at their kid at the football game, the same parent who yells at their kid at the t-ball game or the soccer game does not yell at their kid when they're playing freeze tag horribly. They don't yell at their kid like when you play hide and seek when you're a kid and they're little and this is how they hide, they just like cover their eyes. You're not yelling at your kid, come on, get your head in the game, go find a real hiding spot. You don't do that. But when it comes to t-ball, when it comes to soccer, when it comes to basketball, we'll yell all sorts of things at refs, other parents, other children, our children. All of a sudden, when it becomes organized sports, we lose our mind. But here's what happens. Here's why we do it. And here's what I want you to do. Um, I want to be honest here for a second. I know this, I say this all the time. This isn't the place that historically people are honest, but let's be honest for a second. If you guys can just go home tonight or this afternoon Go get your yearbook, get your trophies, 
get all those pictures, those news clippings I know you hid away in a shoebox, and just hug them and say goodbye. Like, that's not going to be your kid. Don't try and force that onto your child. Don't try and make your child what you were in high school. Don't make your child what you were in college. Like, don't put that pressure on them because here's, here's what's going to happen. Your children, if you make extracurricular activities the center of your household and they govern your home, it's going to do two things. The first thing is you're going to raise little turds who you're then going to release into society and everyone else is going to have to deal with. And we know this is true because we have neighbors, we have coworkers who are unbelievably obnoxious because of their parents, the way they raised them. Unbelievably obnoxious. And so we live in a society that loves to just, just throw things on millennials, right? We love to just like, millennials, like they're horrible, they're horrible people, they're so lazy, they think they're entitled, they like, everyone gets trophies. Man, millennials didn't ask for a trophy when they were growing up, their parents gave them trophies. It's the way we parents, the way we raise these kids. I'm not saying millennials don't have their own issues, but most of those issues are because of the way their parents raised them, because of the way their coaches raised them. They made sports, they made getting trophies, they made winning this thing that everyone needs to partake in, everyone needs to do, everyone needs to push harder and try harder and, and, and yelling at kids to perform. And, and we create these, I, 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 didn't, I was gonna use a different word, but I saw that some kids aren't in children's church, which is totally fine. But I think turds is, is, is wildly acceptable for all kids of all ages. Um, the second thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna leave your house someday. You've made your child your God and, and someday they're gonna leave. You love them with all your heart, but someday they've got to go. Like, it's just like, you can't keep 26, 27 year old kids gotta, gotta leave the house some point. And when that happens, who are you left with? You're just left with your spouse. Now there's this, you had this God in your life for 18, 20, 28 years, and now they're gone and you're just left with your spouse and things are weird and awkward. You don't even know, know your spouse because you were so focused on your kid and raising your kid and you were so focused on getting your kid into sports programs and to soccer and to club ball and travel teams. You were all about that. Now that they're gone, you don't even know who you're married to anymore. And this is why there are so many divorces or, or issues after kids leave the home is because the parents were only together because they had this common God. Now that God's gone, what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? Biblically speaking, homes should revolve around a husband and a wife under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what our homes should be about. That's what we should be about as Christian homes. What we're imparting to our children isn't sports and ball, but it's, it's the wonders and the glories of the creator God who loves them, who welcomes them, who, who, who calls them to him. And look, sports aren't bad. Like, Sports aren't bad. I think sports are good. I think games are fun. My son has this condition where he's like lanky and uncoordinated. I have no idea where he gets that from. But he's got this thing and he's not in here. And I don't think he can hear me. He stinks at, at anything sports and organized. Like he can't catch. He can't really throw. He's getting better, but he stinks. And if he wants to play, then we play. If he wants to go swimming, we go swimming. If he doesn't want to swim because he's scared, I mean, we just stand in the, in the shallow end. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I just want my son to have fun and to enjoy life. If he enjoys soccer, he plays soccer. If he enjoys karate, he can play karate as long as we can afford it and don't go into debt. Karate can be expensive. 
I just want my son to have fun and play. I don't want him ever to think that my affection and love is predicated upon his performance in some game. And we teach our kids all the time because when they perform well, we love them, we get them ice cream, take them to pizza. When they don't perform well, we get angry and we're upset and we give them the cold shoulder. We teach our kids that, that our love and affection is based upon how they perform. We can't do that. We can't do it. Children make crummy gods. They don't work as deity. They don't work as a god. Children, biblically speaking, are not gods. They don't control our lives, but they're gifts from a creator God. Psalm 127, three through five says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are like the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. All right, we got to get back to Mark because we'll be here all morning. Um, Jesus' disciples didn't have the same love for children that Jesus did. Uh, they thought because of how they viewed themselves and the pride. We know the disciples are prideful. We've been going through Mark for almost a year. Uh, and we're only in chapter, we're like two thirds of the way done. So we got a little bit of time left, but we know the disciples are, are prideful and self-righteous. We've seen that. Jesus loves them anyway. He chose them anyway, but they're prideful and self-righteous. They, they tried stopping this one guy from exercising demons and unclean spirits because they weren't one of them. And now they're trying to stop the children from coming to Jesus because they believe something wrong about who they are. They think that they deserve to be with Jesus. They think only certain people deserve to be with Christ. So they're trying to stop those whom they don't. They have this, this, this societal and cultural view of who children are, what children uh, should, should do and be. And so they don't let the kids come to Christ. And, and, and there's this word here that Jesus has, says he has indignation indignation, what we have indignation towards shows us what we care about. Indignation is this like righteous, severe anger. There, there was an anger that was welling up in Jesus because the disciples. This isn't just like, Jesus like, oh no, you guys, you guys are missing the point. Like kids can come, bring them in. He was angry. He had indignation for what was happening. He was upset. He was angry. Like this is the same kind of words that's used when Jesus was flipping over tables and stuff in the temples. Jesus values children as gifts, and we should too. We should evangelize our children with a, with a gospel-saturated home. We should disciple children with a Bible-saturated home. We should pray with our children with a prayer-saturated home. We should encourage, bless, challenge our children. We have to model a Christ-intoxicated life and show our children that everything we do is about Jesus. Not about sports or games or schoolwork. Like other things like, okay, so if we're not focusing on school, we're focusing on, on acad academia, right? So we're making sure my kids read first, read early. Like, man, kids at two, three years old shouldn't be reading. Don't put that on them. There's no reason for them to read at two, three years old. It's just not a reason to do that. Like I, I, I was there. I wanted Elium to read early. I wanted him to walk early. I wish Elium was not mobile. It is much harder when they start walking than it is if they just like, have to stay in one spot. You have to lean them against something so they don't fall over. It's much easier then. But I wanted all these things to happen. I wanted Elam to read and all these things. I had to get to the point where, you know what? Like, I just want Elam to try his hardest, like he's working for the Lord. If that means he gets C's, he gets C's. Maybe he's going to a trade school instead of a college, and that's fine with me. 
absolutely fine with me. We can't make, make, tell our kids, you've got to get A's and you've got to get scholarships. You've got to go to college. Like, not everyone needs to go to college. Not everyone needs to go to college. We can't put this pressure on kids. I've got to get back. Um, I want to say one more thing before we move on from this point about how much Christ loves children because the reality is Jesus loving children isn't what this text is about. It's in there, but it's not what it's about. And so we haven't even really gotten to what this text is saying yet. But I want to say one thing with all my love that I can as a pastor of this church and knowing that we have, and this is going to sound like I'm talking to certain people and I kind of am, but I'm talking to everyone. It's going to sound like I'm talking to people who listen to our sermons online. But I know there's people in our church who struggle with the idea they want a family, don't have a family, they want children, they don't have, they don't have children. And children are the blessing of the Old Testament. That's absolutely true. You read Psalm. But the reality is the blessing of the New Testament is not children, but it's disciples. We can't, we can't, I talked about this last week, but we can't put this on ourselves that I need uh, a spouse and I need children to be happy. That I have to have this family to have the joy that God has for me. Because the reality is Jesus had neither. And so when, when we say that, you know, if you just get married, everything's going to be okay. When you have children, everything's going to be okay. When those things become these, man, when I get that, like, I'll be fine. When they become those moments, when they become those idols in our life, we're saying that Jesus didn't have all the joy that he, that he could have had because he didn't have a spouse and he didn't have children. And that's just not what the Bible says. The blessing of the New Testament is not children, but it's disciples. That's all parents are. Parents are just disciple makers. We could literally stop saying parents and just say disciple makers. Like, your children are meant to be disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the earth. That's what parents do. Someone once told me that they're like, hey, I don't really see a lot of parenting verses in the Bible. Like, there's some in Proverbs, and but like, there's really not that many parenting verses. Like, man, Matthew 18 or 28 talks about parenting so much. It says, make disciples. So those who, who aren't parents or want to be parents and will be parents someday, you don't have to wait to make disciples until you have children. You don't have to wait to make disciples until you have a family. Like God has a mission for you that you can partake in today. You don't have to wait till your children are old enough to understand the gospel to make disciples. We shouldn't be waiting to make disciples. There are young women and men in our area that need someone. There's opportunities out there. The school lets people just come and read to kids who struggle with reading. There's programs, the Methodist Church has this lighthouse program where uh, you, they, kids come there after school and you just read to these kids who, who struggle with reading. You can get into the school too. You can go right to Greenlee and talk to them about being one of those people who come in the middle of the day, take a kid out of class and read with them. Like there's ways to disciple children, ways to disciple people. They don't have to be children. It could be discipling college age kids, discipling high school kids. God has a mission for you today and we don't have to wait fullness of joy in Christ is not in a spouse or a child, but it's in him and partaking in the ministry of reconciliation, which he's called us to. And I say that with all the love that I have for everyone in this room and for everyone who could be listening. This isn't what this passage is about. This passage certainly has in it that we should love children, but this passage is more that we should learn from children. We should learn from children because the children teach us about the kingdom of God. And so we talked earlier a little bit about text and context. The context of this scripture 
Sometimes I've heard it preached that you gotta be like innocent, have faith like a child and just this pure faith. And, and that's not at all what this is saying. Like if you have children, it doesn't take you very long to know that children aren't innocent. They're not pure and they're not sweet. They're just not. Like I never, I've told this before, I never had to teach my son to lie. He just knew how to lie to get himself out of trouble. He just, he just figured that out on his own. He knew that if, if I could say something that lets me not get a sp- um, disciplined, uh, then I will say it to get out of it. He knows that. So this isn't about being innocent. We don't come to the kingdom of God because we're innocent. We don't come because we're pure, we're sweet. We come helpless. And that's what this verse is talking about, that, that someone had to bring the children to Jesus. They didn't come on their own. You don't come to the kingdom of God. You're received by the kingdom of God. They're helpless. Their lives were in the hands of another They come small, powerless. They have no clout or standing. They bring nothing to the kingdom of God. They come with empty hands. They come with empty hands. Like if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're saved, you're a child of God, like God didn't pick you because he needed you on his team. He didn't pick you because of some gift you had or, because if you look historically, like he picked Abraham or Abram at the time, Nothing special about him. In fact, he was too old to have children, him and his wife. And God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. So he picked the the wrong person in our eyes, right? Moses had a speech impediment of some sort, but but called him to be the, the mouthpiece of God. Like we don't bring things to the kingdom of God. God chooses us and we're helpless. We have to be brought to the kingdom of God. We come trusting and dependent. Again, the kingdom of God is received, not earned. It's received like a child or not at all. We have to be dependent upon Christ. See, children point the way to the entrance of God's kingdom because children have absolute dependence on someone. Like children can't just survive on their own. Salome would not make it without me and Margie. She just wouldn't. I love her to death. I think she's, I, I'm, it's 2017. I love women. It's not because she's a woman. It's because she's two and a half. She just can't make it. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to make food. She'd eat the wrong kind of berry. She eats everything. She puts everything in her mouth. So she'd eat something she shouldn't eat. We're dependent. I love this idea that, that children have, this is totally not like adults, but children have the capacity to have so much joy, but not be able to explain why or explain why or explain what they're doing at all. They have so much capacity to enjoy something, even though they're unable to explain it. And that's what coming, being received by the kingdom of God is like. They live in faith and dependence. They must trust someone else in order to survive. And lastly, they come for affection and blessing. And that blessing is Christ himself. And so the end, this verse ends in such a sweet picture. Verse 16 says, he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus picked up the children in his tenderness and his affection. He blessed them and laid his hands on them. This is such a picture of the gospel that as we come to Christ, we come to him, we're, we're really, as this picture shows, we're brought to Christ. 
He tenderly and affectionately receives us and blesses us. And we have to understand that blessing is him. That blessing isn't a big house. That blessing isn't kids who are great or kids who play sports. Again, I don't want to get back down that, rat, that rant again, but the blessing are not things. The blessing is him. The blessing is Christ, that, that, that we have Christ. And if, and if he gives us nothing else, we have Christ. If he gives us nothing else, we have Christ. Like we can't bring this to he blessed him and gave him all these things that they deserved and all this stuff. And they did all these things to earn these blessings. They didn't. They came helpless. They came dependent. But God blessed them with him, with his affection and his hands. And that's how Jesus receives us. He doesn't give us anything that we think we deserve. That's the whole point is he gives us nothing of what we deserve, but he gives us him. And he, he, he came to earth to make a way so that he could receive us into his arms and he could lay his hands on us and bless them. Because in our current state, we can't do that. In our current state, we're like the disciples. We think we deserve something because we, this is what we do. And I'll close with this. This is what we do. We, we look around the world and we say, hey, at least I'm not like that guy. I never murdered anyone. I've never, I've never done that. I've never embezzled anything. I've never actually committed adultery, whatever that means. We, we, we talk like that and we, 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 never, we don't talk like that. We, we, we think things like that in our head. We look at our neighbors. Well, I'm not like that guy. I work hard. I don't take anything from the government. I do all these things and I work hard and I earn what I have and that's, that, that's like the disciples and trying to stop children from coming to Christ, trying to stop other people from coming to Christ. We think we deserve stuff and then we get mad and, and we do this as a culture, right? Because if something bad happens in the culture, planes fall out of the sky, we, as a culture, and I mean, not Christians here today, as a culture, we curse God. We're like, God, how could you let this happen? How could you let a plane fall out of the sky? How could you let terrorists do something like this? How could you let a hurricane, this is, hit Texas like that and devastated Texas. And we're praying for Texas. And uh, I have friends down there I used to work with. And so I've been in contact with them, but we curse God when things like this happen. We get a promotion though. What do we do? Do we thank God? No, we think we earned that. And I worked hard to get a promotion. I worked hard. I worked hard all year to get that raise. I raised my kids. That's why they turned out well because of what I did and how I raised them. And I read the books and I read the blogs and I did the right things. And I no, Jesus saved your kids. Jesus intervened with your kids. Jesus blessed you with himself. And if you get none of that, your life is okay. If you get none of that, if you never get a raise, never get a job, like the, Jesus said, the greatest man born of a woman was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had none of the things we think we, we should have. His life ended because a 13-year-old stripper uh, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, bad young girl. Um, I don't want people to have to explain that word later. So um, wanted his head on a platter. That's how his life ended. That's how his life ended. He's the greatest man born of a woman. Like we can't miss that the blessing is nothing but Christ himself. If we never get married, if I never get that job I want, never get that house that I think we need, or I never live in a safe neighborhood, Christ is the blessing. He's all we need. He's all we're promised. So my prayer um, is that we would come to Christ like children, helpless and dependent, 
knowing we're undeserving. We've done nothing to deserve it. We weren't picked because we're awesome. We brought anything to the team. We come with empty hands, just asking for mercy, asking for what we don't deserve and praying we never get what we deserve. So that's my prayer this morning. We come to Christ empty-handed, dependent and trusting. We'll sing a couple songs together um, and then I'll come up and pray. Let me pray. Father, I just uh, come before you, Lord, just thankful for this morning, God. Um, I pray that uh, as we leave here today, Lord, uh, as we go on to, to home or our lives, God, that we would just be reminded this week that your spirit would just remind us and whisper to us, Lord, um, that you will receive us, that you have brought us to you. We come helpless, but hopeful. We come dependent, but trusting. I pray that you would just make our homes, whether we're single, married, children or no children, Lord, make our homes homes that proclaim the gospel and show the gospel, Lord, and that we would be disciple makers no matter what context that looks in. And that would be what our lives are about. That would be the calling on our lives and what we strive each day to do. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful for your son and this church um, and just bringing us together this morning. I pray you'd continue to do incredible work in this area. You'd call men and women to repentance and to follow you as they come helpless and dependent, God. I love you. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.